lose everyone. I'm back, baby. It's Jake C. Lee. I'm great. Everybody else sucks. Oh, huh. oh no. It's every nightmare I've ever had. Excuse me. It's time to check the link. Pretty crazy, huh? But, but it doesn't matter because none of this has anything to do with the show. You know what? You just made the list. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. It's all in. Sure, we talk about it all the time. Really? No. Game on, everybody. It is all in sports. Jake Seeley, your host. And it's been a while. Sorry for the hiatus. You know, travel, Super Bowl, all that good stuff. But we're back. And well, I say we. I'm back. And what we, because I do have a guest today to kick things off. By the way, uh, fantasy baseball fans out there, I know there's still a few of you. If you go to theathletic.com slash all in sports. 30% off, but save that for another day because you get 40% off if you just go find the draft kit. The point is the draft kit is out. It's easy to find. There's a billion articles. It's actually, I, I see it, and I'm kind of baffled by it, how much there's there and coming. So go check it out. Anyway, at The Athletic, but this is your baseball people. We're here for football. We're here for football. I'm back. So what better way to come back to have one of my best friends in the business, and yes, I don't say friends for a lot of people in the business, but one of my favorite people, Mike Tagliere of Fantasy Pros. Uh, Mike Tagliere, NFL, to follow him at Twitter, and dude, it's, it's, been, it's been too long. It has. I always enjoy talking to you, Jake, because you and I, like, we're, we're, we have, like, strong mindsets, and we always argue, and it's, like, it makes for a really good conversation because typically I think we can learn from each other. We may not back down from our side of the argument, but we can always learn something. Right. It's kind of like I, I always compare it to the PTI where like we can argue about and then at the end of the show, I'll be like, all right, let's uh, go get some food. Cool. Yeah, I'm you done know, with that. <laughs> we, don't, we don't hold it personally. Uh, by the way, uh, go ahead. Tell everybody, look, you got a billion things. We're actually talking about one of your articles today, but tell everybody again where they can find you, what you got working, what you got going in the off season, all your good stuff that you got going on. Yeah, obviously all my content's over at fantasypros.com and uh, right now getting into draft coverage, but I just released an article. It's about the 175 interesting stats that I found from the 2019 fantasy football season. And uh, there's a lot of, um, so many people are reaching out to me saying, can you put takeaways from each one of these stats and in that? And I, the reason I don't do that is because I want people to take away what they want to take away, right? Because a stat you could use in so many different ways. I could find stats that make one of the best players in football, like Christian McCaffrey. I could find a stat that could make him look not as great but I want to point out all these stats because it's almost like lyrics and music right it, it people can interpret them a different way and that's what I love about stats and people ask me my favorite ones and I'm like they're, they're like my babies like I I don't know how you, you don't pick one of your favorite kids so uh picking a favorite stat just doesn't work there's some that are definitely more interesting than others um and we're going to talk about some of those today but and I'm sure we might have different takeaways from the stats because you sent me over a couple that you wanted to talk about and um I've gotten responses on both uh, ends of the spectrum. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. But uh, yeah, it's getting into draft season. So basically, I'll be doing some mock drafts and big boards and things like that, trying to give you guys an idea of, you know, the players that you should expect your team to be looking at. Um, I'll go through all 32 teams and talk about, you know, the, the strengths of their team as well as the weaknesses and who they should be looking to draft in the first couple of rounds. Yeah, it's, it's we're both headed down the path. I got the you're going to beat me to the punch a little bit because everybody knows that. Got to work on the baseball stuff to get you guys ready. But Marshall roll around and be doing the exact same thing as Mike. But you mentioned like nobody has favorite kids. That's not true because I have a niece. <laughs> I have a niece, and I wasn't expecting to have a second niece because there's a huge gap. It was kind of an oops, but this is an amazing thing. Oops. Uh, but so initially, I didn't think there was going to be a second niece because I thought my sister was done. So in one of her birthday cards, I said Happy birthday to my favorite niece. Like tongue in cheek like you're the only one 
And now she said she's going to lord it over her young sister for the rest of her life. So she 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 knows there's favorites, but not really. But <laughs> that's a let's niece, talk though. about <laughs> that, that's true. Hey, look, it's a favorite kid. But <laughs> uh, I'm actually so yes, I picked out how many did I pick out? One, two, three, six. I picked out six, and then some other players that were in the, the all three players that I picked are in there. But I do want to talk about them as well because they, these are all. Similar to what we're doing on the athletic podcast, so you know, uh, Mike, and then everybody out there, the the throwback, we've kind of like, let's look at situations for 2020 that probably aren't going to change much. You don't want to focus too much on something that in three months with free agency and the draft hit, all of a sudden it's like, well, it doesn't matter. All that talk out the window. So we're trying to kind of focus on those type of things, especially right now for your keeper and dynasty people, you know, making the trades because uh, for your example, Mike, we had a conversation the other day. I forget what the player was, but uh, Chris and Brad were on one side and I was on the other. And my entire point is kind of similar to what you said to kick this off is like, not definitely saying you're wrong, I'm right, or you know, you're right, or whatever. But the point being is if you have two sides of a coin, well, whether you're on one side or the other, that opens up the window for the trade. That opens up like if you feel the one side, you know there's going to be people who feel the other. So it's just and I think that's something that people miss too often is that you can have a completely different opinion, but that's where you open up a buying opportunity. So the first one, and I'm gonna read these. Is it okay if I read them off? Because I don't want to steal straight yeah, from your article. For like, sure, okay. Yeah. Well, no, I just, you know, I still want people to go to your article. I guess if I'm only doing, I guess if I'm doing eight out of 175, I, that's, you know, was that like 3%? So I think that's okay. Uh, so number 10 was these rookie wide receivers all scored more touchdowns than Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, Cortland Sutton, Julian Edelman, and Stefan Diggs. That was AJ Brown, Darius Slayton, Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, and Marquise Brown. So I want to ask you about two guys in this list of the rookies that you're talking about. And I want to ask you about Marquise Brown, and I want to ask you about Darius Slayton, because they feel similar to me, even though one is the number one for his team and the other one probably the number two. Actually could be the number one for his team next year, let's be honest about his skill and what's there, Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. But that being said is I see the similarities, and they feel like they're Deshaun Jackson. And if you draft them as your wide receiver three, you got to plug them in there every single week and deal with the lumps because the lumps are coming. But too many people see the upside, and then they get frustrated with these kind of players. Yeah, it, it does happen. And But the thing is, you have to realize you need those players in your team. You need the headaches because if you have like a Will Fuller during week 14, 15, or 16, he's going to help you win a fantasy football matchup. That's the thing. You can find guys like Cole Beasley all year long, and he finishes a top 36 wide receiver. That doesn't mean that he's going to help you win a fantasy championship. You need studs, and you need guys that have the purge weeks, the guys that are weak winners. And uh, I believe Marquise Brown is one of those players. And, you know, to do what he did this year in terms of like, you know, the production he had, I think he scored seven touchdowns, uh, six of them came from the slot Lamar Jackson obviously had a crazy high touchdown percentage that's going to come down it was a nine percent rate everybody that's thrown for 8.5 percent or higher has always come down uh also in the article yeah that's in the article (laughs) as well um but basically like Marquise Brown is is still going to develop the reason I like Marquise Brown so much is because he was coming back from that Liz Frank surgery that's not an easy injury to come back from I was avoiding him in season-long leagues because He's somebody that, like, basically when a pass catcher, whether it be a tight end or a wide receiver, has foot surgery, you typically want to wait one calendar year before expecting major production out of them. I've gone, I've gone back in history and, and looked through these injuries, so I didn't really want to touch him too much. I thought that there might be some big weeks mixed in because he's like that Deshaun Jackson type player. That's actually my comp for him coming out of school. 
he is small. He's not a guy that's going to absorb many hits, so you're not going to see a whole lot of targets. He's the number one there, but he's also not a guy that's going to see double-digit targets like a Julio Jones, like a DeAndre Hopkins. But there are going to be those purge weeks like the Will Fuller uh, where he's going to win you single-handedly win you a fantasy week. I like him <laughs> quite a bit. Now, as for Slayton, I'm not nearly as high on because really? I do believe I, th- I think Shepard is the best receiver there. Now, they're different types of receivers. Tate, is he going to be a cap casualty? What are they going to do with him, his contract? But the reason I don't like Slayton as much is because we never got to see Shepard, Slayton, Tate, Ingram and Saquon Barkley on the field at the same time. There was not a single game this year where we saw all those guys in the field. And the bottom line is that there's just only so many targets to go around. I'm not saying that Slayton's not a good player. I'm just saying that there's going to his his lows are going to be much lower than a Marquise Brown, where it's like I, I believe you're going to have you know, 12 yard weeks, two catches for 12 yards. And that can vary you. I don't know if the, if the big weeks are going to be as big if all these guys remain healthy. That's my concern with him is that I say best case scenario, he's third in line for targets. I can make the case that he's fourth or fifth. You can, but so February 4th, 2020, we already have our first disagreement in the fact that I actually think they fall within five spots of each other when the season's in the over. Marquise Brown and Darius Slayton. I'm high on Darius Slayton. I think, as I said, I think he could take over as number one. And you know, like, I do like Sterling Shepard. I just think for Daniel Jones and this offense, I actually think Slayton is a better fit. I, I definitely, look, I think they're both the Sean Jackson Lake, like you said, but so we already have our first one. Look, everybody out the <laughs> gate. So, and again, this is the point. You know, if you're on Mike's side of Darius Slayton, if you're on my side of Darius Slayton, there you go. There's going to be people, like we are, quote, I hate ex- fanalists uh, in the industry to steal that from Brad Evans. And, you know, that's, look, that's what we are. If you disagree, there you go. There's your buying opportunity. All right, so let's go to number 12. Number 12 has been, there have been just 10 running backs who've rushed for at least 15 touchdowns over the last 10 years. Three of them were this past season, Derek Henry, Aaron Jones, and Christian McCaffrey. I want to talk about one running back of those three. Can you guess which one? Um, Derek Henry? Nope. It's the one I hate. Aaron Jones. So Aaron Jones, I do not like for everybody out there. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. I don't hate Aaron Jones, the player. I love Aaron Jones, the player. Mm -hmm. My exact quote at the beginning of the season and this is why I own 0% of Aaron Jones. And I'm okay with it, despite the fact that he finished third. I'm okay because you know why? Because he's the Deshaun Jackson of running backs. And it's not his own fault, Mike. I've said this time and again. He is one of the most efficient running backs on a per-touch basis. The problem is the Packers don't and won't, and they didn't, now that it's past tense, use him as a bell cow scenario. And we saw, even when Jamal Williams was sidelined, they still did not give him like 20, 25 touches, and it was one of his worst games. He saved the day with a touchdown, but that's my question for you, and that's how I'm going to phrase it for next year. Do you think he's an RB1 because you're basing this stat off touchdowns, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but are you insinuating that, hey, maybe these guys are touchdown regression candidates, and if so, now Aaron Jones falls into the RB2 character. Yeah, they're definitely regression candidates, and we saw so one of the, another stat from the article, I'll throw it out here, because we're actually recording a Fantasy Pros podcast right after this, and I have this stat that I'm going to talk about there. It is, so of the top 30 fantasy seasons by running backs over the last 10 years, there are just two who made that list with fewer than 300 touches. Alvin Kamara in 2018, and Aaron Jones in 2019. We saw the effect of if those touchdowns are cut back a little bit, what it can mean to someone like Alvin Kamara. Now, he still finished as a top 12 running back, so I'm not willing to bump Aaron Jones out of the top 12. That's not happening. Am I going to draft him in the first round? Probably not uh, because, again, you you don't want to rely on those touches. And some people are going to latch on to the fact that Aaron Jones, if you go to the playoffs and you look at, you know, late in the season, 
they started to give him some more touches. And Matt LaFleur talked about it earlier in the year, and nobody wanted to believe him, myself included, because I think talent should win and be on the field. But he was saying that we want to keep these guys fresh, so when it comes to playoff time, we want to be we want to be able to ride them. And he did ride Aaron Jones in the playoffs, and he was that running back that was getting those 20 touches per game. And some people are going to latch onto that and say, oh, Matt LaFleur finally learned his lesson. I don't think so. I think it was more of like, <laughs> I'm keeping him I'm keeping him to a minimal touch count throughout the year, and then we're going to unleash him in the playoffs. And, and it worked. I mean, he played well. This is more about the, the team just not being good enough, right? Like, you know, Aaron Rodgers not having anybody else other than Devontae Adams. Aaron Rodgers himself not willing to take chances anymore. Like, I don't know what happened to Aaron Rodgers, but all of a sudden he's scared to throw the ball into a tight spot. He has precision accuracy and he's able to do it, but he just doesn't trust his receivers anymore. And uh, he's throwing the ball away more than anybody else in the league. So um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on this one. I'm again, I'm not moving him out of my top 12 running backs because I don't think that there's a, I don't think there's 10 other running backs that I can confidently say have a higher you, touch. I'll count tell you, I'll and tell play you what for the good downfall offense. was. You want, you want to know what the downfall of Aaron Rodgers was? What's that? A hundred percent. I know he broke up with Olivia Munn and started dating Dana Pack, Danica Patrick. Yeah. He was with the more fun. He was with the better girl. I mean, the correlation, uh, I'm with you on that one. The better girl I'm with, you, I'm with you on that one for sure. Uh, but the correlation suggests you could be right. Uh, he, see, look, it's all about relationships. It's, it's who, you know, <laughs> all right. Number 17, a league high 19.6% of Matthew Stafford's pass attempts went at least 20 yards in the air. No other quarterback had a percentage higher than 16.5%. Now, we're in this industry. We preach it every single year. We say, wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback, and then still wait on quarterback. Do you think Matthew Stafford next year could be one of the elite values, and I'll say elite as the player, but elite values because he's going to be undrafted or in the last few rounds and still has the top 10 potential when he was healthy this year that we saw? He's one of those guys I'd feel confident platooning. Uh, so many people will, will point to the fact that... You wouldn't Matthew start him St every single week? I don't know if I feel that confident. Like, I, there's guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick that might have a good matchup that I'd rather stream. And I'm, I'm actually one... I'm one of those guys that that's in the industry that I'm okay telling people that I'll platoon quarterbacks. And some people are saying, there's no way I'm going to keep two quarterbacks on my roster. I mean, it just depends on the rest of my roster and what it looks like if I need to have guys with upside. No, on my to bench. your point, I think, I think that's antiquated in itself because... You draft. I'll give you a perfect example. This year in one league, I drafted Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson because I yep. got Lamar Jackson in like the eleventh round. Well, guess yep. who wasn't my quarterback for ninety percent of the year? Aaron Rodgers. Bye. <laughs> like Jameis Winston was a last round or yep. undrafted pick. Like if you take somebody, it's kind of similar to. Uh, I'll liken it to this. It's kind of similar to defenses. Like if you're going to take like two defenses in the last two rounds because it's like, hey, one of these we don't really know until the season gets rolling, especially with defenses. Well, at the same time, all these quarterbacks could potentially break out. One of them could potentially bust, or they could both. Play play well and one just happens to be much better than the other so I, i'm with you I, I actually have started to draft uh two quarterbacks more if i unless i draft obviously like i would never draft the patrick Mahomes as a second quarterback but anyway to go back to your point so mm -hmm. for everybody out there as you're continuing to talk matthew stafford in points per game was actually top five before he got hurt just so everybody knows yeah, he was having a really, really good season. And the thing is, is people start talking to me about, they're like, Stafford's so good. He's, it's because Kenny Galladay, and he's so good. I'm like, eh, Stafford's just willing to throw it in a tight coverage. And they were like, no, he's a separator. I'm like, Kenny Galladay is not a top five route runner. And someone got in an argument with me that he was a top five route runner in the league. And uh, I pointed to the next-gen stats that uh, <laughs> Kenny Galladay was actually the worst in the league in terms of separation at target. Uh, it was 1.6 yards of separation at target. And, so, and, and Marvin Jones was at like 1.8. So he doesn't have separators, but Stafford understands the, 
he kind of learned it with Calvin Johnson, right? Where it's like taking shots down the field do pan out if you have receivers that can go up and get it. And Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay are both guys that win in contested catch situations where like a guy like Amari Cooper may not be great in a situation like that, but he's a natural separator. You have to understand like the skill set and what a quarterback's willing to do. Knowing that Stafford is willing to take those shots down the field, it obviously props up guys like Kenny Galladay uh, who, who, who struggle to gain separation that guys like Amari Cooper do. All right. I, I completely agree with you. I, I think Stafford's always a fun one to have in fantasy. He's the new, like new Philip Rivers. Thank you. Oh my God. You took the words out of my mouth. Oh my God. Yeah. We're, see this. Now we're back on the same page. Yeah. Good times. Hey, <laughs> Philip Rivers top 10 year after year after year. After, well, until recently, obviously, mm-hmm. but yes, he is the new Philip Rivers. Thank you. Uh, so let's go to the next one. Uh, this is, a, this is a very interesting one. So among 157 wide receivers with at least 100 targets over the last five years. So this is the past five years. Mm-hmm. All these wide receivers with over 100 targets. Curtis Samuel's .96 yards per route run was worst. As in, he is the worst in the past five years of anybody with 100 targets. Mm-hmm. He was a popular breakout candidate for this year. There was people, I'm sure you remember Mike, who were saying he was going to have a better season than DJ Moore. Yep. And, you know, obviously, like the Cam, Cam Newton situation could change things, you know. Uh, so Cam Newton being back or not, Kyle Allen, whoever the quarterback is or not, the point being is Curtis Samuel because DJ Moore still had success. So let's be yep. realistic about Curtis Samuel. So Curtis Samuel, is he a bust for the industry? And like whether or not you were on that page, uh, I think I had him in the top 40, but I definitely had him behind DJ Moore. Um, I don't know where you were, but is he a bust for the industry in the fact that this is just Curtis Samuel is just not that great? I believe I had him around wide receiver 45. I wasn't, I, I didn't think that there was a breakout imminent or anything like that. I knew that DJ Moore was going to be the possession style receiver and that Samuel might have, he might have been more of those spike weeks that you're looking for. But this is one of those stats where people have taken it different ways. Some people have said, oh, the opportunity's there and, and like, you know, that number is yeah, going to come up. It's because of ways. quarterback yeah. play. I'm like, guys, we're talking about 157 wide receivers over the last five years. There's a lot of those wide receivers that had <laughs> crappy quarterbacks and none of them were this bad. Am I saying that Curtis Samuel? <laughs> right. Am I saying that Samuel is going to be this bad for the rest of his career? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is that he was pretty. It's, I don't want to say historically bad, but the, the air yards guys, because the air yards is what you target in DFS, and you're like, there's an opportunity here. His price is down, and and I understand all that. Usually, it does equate to production, but with Curtis Samuel, it just didn't. It just never did. And if you take away the touchdowns that he scored this year, he was awful. Like legitimately awful. His his opportunity was huge. He had. I take this stat as like, because yards per route run to me is more indicative of future success than like touchdowns because Julio Jones is a guy that's consistently, consistently at the top of the league in yards per route run. Even so when he doesn't score touchdowns, people want to overblow that. But Julio is one of the best in the game, whereas Samuel, the touchdowns are going to mask some of the inefficiency that he had. But this is like this is a damning stat for him, like where I don't like Curtis Samuel very much. And some people want to buy low on him. If you find someone to sell at like basement prices, sure, because the opportunity is still there. Uh, but I, some people in the end, like in the industry, if I'm in an industry league, I know a lot of people still believe in Curtis Samuel and the opportunity being there. I, I, I would actually use that to my advantage and sell them. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the selling. It's just the fact that if you got similar value than what people wanted for for this year and make all the excuses, right? I would just get away from it at this point because I'm with you. It's not, this isn't like looking back, be like, oh, whatever. You know, I, again, Curtis Samuel, you know, could have had a fine season with Cam Newton. Maybe we're wrong about it, but. And let's, pretend, uh, let's not pretend that Cam Newton's an elite passer. Can we, can we stop doing that? 
<laughs> Wait, you tell me that he's not. The only amazing. people are going to be mad at me when I say that because I'm like, Cam Newton's not an elite passer. He never was. He had one year where he was like a, a, a really good passer. Outside of that, he's been average. The reason no, you that know who Cam he is? Newton, he was, the reason it was a game changer was because of his mobility. And the, you had to game plan against him, and but his right. accuracy has been terrible. No. We had so we had the new Philip Rivers. We have a new Cam Newton for everybody who wants to draw Josh the Allen. parallel. There you go. So yep. for everybody that thinks that Cam Newton is a good, just it's Josh Allen. That's who he is. So mm-hmm. there, there you go. Like, let's not overreact. So yeah. they're two for two. We're on the same page of who he is. All right. Here's the next one. This is a fun one for everybody out there because this is, uh, I'll phrase the question at the end. Number 33 is Austin Eckler's 993 receiving yards in 2019 ranks as the fourth most all time. And that's despite the fact he was only 22nd with 108 targets. So there's a few more stats you have in this article about Austin Eckler. And it's not just basing on this, that, just in general. Melvin Gordon's a free agent. Obviously, the Chargers could draft somebody. Obviously, they could bring somebody in a free agency to split this backfield again. But is there something in your gut that's saying, you know what, maybe he's like the Alvin Kamara where he is the lead, but he's the lead in like a very small, like a 60-40 split. But that's all I need for Alvin Kamara to be. I'm going to put you on the spot as of today, 2-4-20, Mike. Alvin Kamara and RB1 for 2020. Austin Eckler, you mean? Austin Eckler, yes. That's what I meant to say. Uh, well, is yeah, he landing? Dude, the, I, I was trying to catch you. Is he landing on the Saints with Drew Brees? <laughs> because if he is, yeah, sure. Um, no, but no, no, no. He, he's not. He's going to be with the Chargers without Phillip Rivers and maybe Tyrod Taylor, maybe someone else. Uh, I know they're, they're apparently going to go after Brady. I, oh, they're not getting no, Brady. I, I don't okay. want Eckler. No, I, not as an RB1, I don't. And the thing is, is like he was extremely underrated this year. And one of those stats that you were talking about is that he scored 193.3 half PPR points this year. That is the most ever for a running back through the air. The most ever. That was more than Christian McCaffrey had this year. Uh, the most ever. He beat Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk was the, the record holder with that. But Austin Eckler scored more receiving fantasy points than any other running back in history uh, this year. But I, this is almost like we have an example of this, guys. Like, did we not learn our lesson? What happens when a team loses that franchise quarterback like a Phillip Rivers? We saw it with James Conner and the Steelers running backs this year without Ben Roethlisberger. If you don't have that competent quarterback, the offense changes altogether. First off, they're not going to score nearly as much. Second off, the defense can devote so much more attention to what you're doing with those running backs because they don't have to worry about the shots down the field that someone maybe like Phillip Rivers did because he did he was willing to throw the ball down the field. So I'm this is um I think people are gonna say, you know, this is apples to apples next year. But if they lose Rivers and go to someone else, this is damning for Austin Eckler, even if Melvin Gordon leaves. And I I do expect them to let Melvin Gordon walk. If they're gonna let Rivers walk, why the hell wouldn't they let Melvin Gordon? Uh, and it's not. This is no slight against Austin Eckler, the running back. He did a fantastic job this year. He was one of the most efficient running backs in football. But as we know, with running backs, opportunity means everything. And the reason Alvin Kamara has been able to get it done for so long, and and with so many with so few touches, is because he plays with Drew Brees in Sean Payton's offense. So, you know, if if Austin Eckler has uh, Drew Brees at his side and he plays in an offense that's going to be top five scoring, sure. But if they're starting someone other than an elite quarterback, probably not. So real quick, have have you gotten into the quarterbacks yet? Yeah, I've I've, I've watched uh, six or seven quarterbacks so far. And have you watched Herbert? I did. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down? Initial not, reaction. I'm not a big fan of him, honestly. Like he's actually number four on my board. I like Jake Fromm more than I do like Herbert. Um, I just feel like 
Herbert, his his accuracy is not a strength, and it's only, it only gets worse when you force him out of the pocket. And the, the Chargers' offensive line right now is not very good. Um, I've actually been going into the the depth charts of teams and figuring out, and they spent a lot of equity in terms of like Feeney and Lamp in the draft a couple of years ago, but yeah. they need to invest in some more offensive linemen because that was part of the issue, is right? Philip Rivers had no mobility. Herbert is not a mobile quarterback, so I don't. I oh mean, my God! I guess you talk about argument. I even mentioned. I said that when yeah, I think you saw it. Anthony Lynn said that he wants to get more mobile at the quarterback position. Blah blah. blah. Mm-hmm. I said that's interesting because obviously, you know, what, what do you do? You're not drafting Jake J- Burrow, but that's not that's irrelevant to the mobility right. part. I said, does this mean a trade up for Tua? Because Herbert, not so much, and then uh, Love and who else? Like Tua, Love or Hurts? I could see. I mean, like, like Love. Is- but that's People the thing. Like somebody, that's Jordan a, Love, but well, that's like the, a I don't know. No, that was the whole thing. Is like people push back and they're like, "Oh, Herbert, no, like he's more than mildly mobile." I'm like, "No, he's really he's mildly not, mobile. Like, you, like he's not. He's, he's not a mobile that's, that's all he is for everybody out there." But anyway, the point being, I was just wondering, like, what your thoughts, like, initial gut reaction was. Uh, I'm very similar, actually. So Justin Herbert, <laughs> I don't want to disparage him this much. But I'm getting very much the same feeling I got when I was out there pushing against and complaining and hating on. And yes, this is a self-backpat because now everybody, <laughs> hindsight's 2020. Everybody out there is going to say, oh yeah, we saw the same thing. Go back and look at draft profiles and see people, how many people were on board. I, he feels like Blaine Gabbert to me. And oh, I wow. hated Blaine. I hated yeah. Blaine Gabbert. And everybody's like, oh, Blaine Gabbert will be fine. He just needs to do this and just needs to do that. And just when you have, you just needs to, just needs to, just needs to, if he does this or whatever, you're asking too much. Like, Chill out. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. We, we sidebar there. No, <laughs> I'm, I like it. I know. I, I like the stance. You, you have to be firm, and I, that's kind of <laughs> where I'm at with Blaine Herbert. Gabbert, somebody like sitting somewhere, like Man, I can't believe I just got called out or still leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> There's some things to like about Herbert in terms of like what his physical attributes, his his delivery is flawless in terms of like his mechanics. Uh, he could throw the ball while moving to his left. You know, like Rogers does this, where he, he's running to his left and he could throw the ball down the field like that. But the accuracy yeah, so is, could, is it's same draft. So can Locker. Like yeah. same draft. So could Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> actually, Locker was better outside of the pocket than he was he inside. Was. Actually, that's you true. could might say the same thing for Herbert, honestly. And just, yeah. but anyway, that's that, that's another. Just get March and April. We'll talk yeah. more about that. Anyway, last stat, number fifty-three, and I'm especially bringing this up because of the Super Bowl and the playoffs in general. So Debo Samuel finished with 159 rushing yards. This was before the playoffs mm-hmm. in 2019, which ranked as eighth most by a wide receiver over the last ten years while his three rushing touchdowns ranked second. He saw even more, and like I said, he, I think he eclipsed that alone in the playoffs, not the rushing yeah. touchdowns. But I bring this up, Mike, because we just talked about it yesterday on the Athletic Pod, and I said my initial thought, even before the Super Bowl, even before any of this, was that just the hype, the fact that people are hyped right now, and for everybody out there that hasn't heard this podcast in a while, that hasn't listened to the Athletic one, coming out of the draft, I was one of the highest people on Debo Samuel. I, I think you remember. I think we talked about I said my biggest complaint is that he didn't have an answer to my question. That's the only complaint I could come up with. <laughs> so I'm cut this is and I only say that to be like I wasn't I'm not saying that like ha ha I was right about Debo. I'm saying now this is coming from a huge fan of his that I think he's going to be so overvalued in next year's draft. 
Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that, especially if you were drafting like right now or in Dynasty, because I believe that the 49ers are going to go out and get a number one, like a, a true number one receiver. And it's not to say that Debo is not a good receiver. He is a very good receiver, but he's more of like that all around guy that could do so many different things. And they're going to use him that way. And it's going to be interesting when they get Jalen Hurd back on the field, too, because Hurd is a guy that is an athletic freak. And he's someone that used to be a running back that was converted Milo, to a- Dynasty. Yes, 100%. I like Hurd a lot. Um, But Debo Samuel showed the ability to be that utility blade as well. So if you have a a couple of these guys out there, they still need that go up and get it receiver. I think that they need another red zone threat outside of Kittle. So if they draft a a, a big wide receiver, maybe in, you know, rounds two or three, uh, that's where I could see them going with one because Emmanuel Sanders, he's a free agent. He's also a guy that's, he's, he's up there in age. I think he's 32 years old, you know, that Achilles. We saw him kind of wind down as the year went on where I I think that's just naturally going to happen. I mean, the guy, what he came back from was miraculous, but we also saw that's when Debo Samuel started doing his work, right? When, when Emmanuel Sanders showed up. So it was almost like you want that a and B situation. So I do anticipate them going out there and getting another wide receiver in the draft. Uh, I would prefer it to be a big bodied guy, a guy that could be more of a threat in the red zone, take a little pressure off of George Kittle uh, and Debo can keep doing his thing. I think he's going to be a fine player. It's almost like that Jarvis Landry territory where he's going to be a a solid player. Is he going to win you a fantasy championship? Probably not. But is he going to to blow your team up? No. Um, He's going to deliver somewhat of a high floor, just maybe not a crazy ceiling. Yeah. And see, the biggest thing is you said somebody's name in there several times, which was the other point I brought up. He's never going to be the number one. It's always no. going to be George Kittle and then somebody else. So right. that's always the, like, it's kind of similar to what's your best case scenario for a wide receiver with the 49ers? Tyreek Hill. And he's not Tyreek Hill. He's a completely different type of wide receiver. But I bring that up to the point of it's very rare to get that kind of production. And that's with the quarterback of Patrick Mahomes. He's not Patrick. Like this, like, we're talking about an offense that passes significantly less. So I, I throw all that out. And that was my biggest thing. And like, I feel Debo is going to be very overdrafted. So let me go to one that you have in the stats several times. Uh, we haven't touched on yet. I thought he might drift into the conversation somewhere, somehow, because he's somebody that's very interesting for next year. I would definitively take in front of Debo Samuel. And that's Cortland Sutton. Now, Cortland Sutton will have Drew Locke at quarterback. So Drew Locke. Show some flashes at the end of the season. I don't know how you feel about Drew Locke. But Cortland Sutton next year, if you're doing your initial rankings, I think he falls. Let, let, me, let me just quick answer. You have him as a wide receiver too, I'm assuming? Yeah. It would be, okay. Yeah. What do you think of the chances he can get into the wide receiver one tier? Uh, with his quarterback situation, I can't say it's great. Uh, just So basically this year was like a best case scenario for him. And it, it's knowing about the head coach too. It's understanding that uh, Vic Fangio is going to want this team to be defense-based. They're not going to throw the ball 600 times. That's just not going to happen. Uh, there were only three wide receivers this year who accounted for at least 40% of their team's air yards. Corlin Sutton was one of them. Um, so he has, the opportunity was already there. Uh, the touchdowns were a little bit lacking, and I think that comes back to the quarterback. And it's not his fault because Cortland Sutton was fantastic in, in contested catch situations. He, I mean, if he, if he were to drop the balls that 95% of receivers did, he probably would have ended the season with like three touchdowns. Uh, but he was better than that. But I, uh, yeah, it's going to be really tough because the way that wide receiver, I haven't done the research on this just yet, but last year, the top, I think, 17 wide receivers in, in fantasy wound up on teams that were top 12 or top 15 in scoring. I don't think the Broncos get in that territory. So it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult for him to get there, especially considering he already had the opportunity. And Flacco just, he doesn't produce wide receiver ones. Or, I mean, do they go with Locke? That's a, that's I a, a lock. I don't know if they're going to. It seems like um, 
Fangio's a he's a, a Flacco guy, but I guess we'll see. But either way, it's going to be tough. For I got to tell you what, if if, if Fangio is ready to if you go back to Flacco for next, just fire him. Just get him the hell out. There's no point in going back. Like I don't even care if Locke comes out next year and throws 16 touchdowns and 24 interceptions or 35. I don't even care. Like if you're going to Flacco. That's just throwing your hands up in the air and going, whatever. Well, like, trading for Flacco is the worst thing. I didn't understand it, but. Oh, you can't save your ass now by starting him. Like, just stop. stop right. Just that's, that's not. Yeah. Flacco is living off one amazing postseason. And yes, yep. amazing. I will say amazing. But it by the way, nice. can I, this is totally off topic, but I want to bring no. this up. No. Because so, hold on. <laughs> so wait, Jake, you're a New York guy. Do you think Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer? Yes. And I would be with, with or without the fact that uh whether being a new york guy and okay. I, I will say because we brought it up we talked at the podcast i did with d'angelo williams i talked about him it was like, interesting to get his perspective the biggest thing is here to look he's got two great seasons and people always say that well guess what the two great seasons weren't even the super bowl seasons the two great seasons were under mcadoo when he went back to back 30 touchdowns and four high four thousand yard mid four high four thousand yards so everybody was mm-hmm. like that everybody's like oh it's two great seasons no well it's two great seasons and two super bowl mvps Yes, it's a very small sample for a bunch of mediocrity for the rest of his career. And I 100% believe he's mediocre for the rest of his career. But or mediocre, uh, you see what I did there. Uh, yeah. In any case, uh, so, <laughs> I do think there's a case, there's an argument against him. Mm-hmm. If there was only one Super Bowl MVP, I could even be okay with him not being in the, the Hall of Fame. But I just feel like for what he's done, there are worse quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame. Not that that should justify it, but he wouldn't be the worst quarterback in the well, Hall that, of Fame. That, that, I can't use that argument in terms of like right. who's in the Hall of Fame because they've made some bad decisions. There's some players that shouldn't be in there. But my case, like what I try and explain to people, the reason that I say to throw out the two Super Bowl argument, because I, I tell people, I'm like, this is the best way. I've, I've thought of a million ways to try and deliver this message. And I want to tell people, I'm like, Imagine for a second, like just put yourself in this reality that Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl this year with the Broncos. Okay, that it happened. He went to the Super Bowl, he won. Is he a Hall of Famer? And everybody says no. Everybody's like, no, are you serious? But that's the reality of it, right? Whereas like he played lights out in the in the playoffs when they won when he won with the Ravens. That he the playoff stretch that he had was fantastic. He had a few good years in there throughout his career. He was never that the reason I say Eli is not, I'm not, this is a team sport. I don't care about the two Super Bowl wins like that. I mean, that's obviously it's good for him. That doesn't mean he's better than Dan Marino. That doesn't mean he's better than, than Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers is a better quarterback than Eli Manning, but Philip Rivers doesn't belong in the hall of fame. That's where it's like, to me, to me, I, well, I would, I would argue for him. I would argue for Tony Romo over both of them, but that's me. (laughs) And again, so, but, it's, it's all about, to me, the Hall of Fame, your definition of the Hall of Fame, right? It's, it's do you believe it's the Hall of Very Good or do you think it's a Hall of Elite? And to me... It, well, see, I don't even and, think it's just that. I'm glad you said definition because I think it also comes down to, like, what do you believe? Like, what do you define as great? Well, not even great. No, that's what I would say. I think, what do you define as memorable? Because I think there's a case to be made for off-field influences personality because here's how I'll phrase it and this is the way that I've always seen the Hall of Fame like and this is why I don't get to your point I think this is great because this is why I don't get too caught up in the stats because there's first of all generations as you said generations are going to change what relevant stats are you know Eli Manning being top 10 and all these stats well in 20 years he's probably not going to be top 10 so all these things changes my point about Eli Manning will always be this can you look back at the 2000 knots and not talk about Eli Manning. No, you can't. Because you have the two Super Bowls, you have the plays, you have beating the 18-0 and 0 Patriots. And that's the way I look at it, too. Like, well, that's you could not like talk about Philip Rivers, though. 
You could. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Like, Eli Manning gets that. Philip Rivers is the – I'm agreeing with you. Philip Rivers is the better quarterback, and right. I do think he belongs in the Hall of Fame for what he did for different reasons. And that's what I'm saying. It's like I won't get caught up in too much stats because I look at it a case-by-case basis, and I'm like, is Philip Rivers one of the best quarterbacks of this generation or the past generation now? I think so. If you want to argue, I, I'm not that like, uh, like if you want to argue against him and he didn't get in, I want to be like, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't let right. him. Right. Yeah. Rivers. Same. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I feel Eli like Manning we have gets that, too. Right. I think Eli Manning gets that little extra because of the two Super Bowls, because of who he beat, when he beat them. And like, there's just, I think that's what it is for me. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's the, and I, if he doesn't get in, I wouldn't be upset. Yeah, I actually yeah. do. I put it this way man. on the, all of you, everything I just said, Mike, at the yeah. same time, if, we want to have a separate argument. I think he's the second worst quarterback of all time to have two Super Bowl rings. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. But that's, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at with the whole thing is that to me, the Hall of Fame, I just define it differently. I, I believe that you're, it's like you have to be a generational player to get in there. And my, that would be my definition in terms, you have to be at least top three at your position for multiple years. And I don't think Eli Manning was ever top three. Maybe you can make an argument for a See, year. I don't or even two. like top three because you know what's funny that you said that is I was actually annoyed that Terrell Davis got in. Yeah, it was that, all he that, had that was, was a three-year peak. That was a borderline one for me. And well, because you know why, Mike? You want to hear something that, and I'll I'll give you the name, and then I'll relate it to him. Mm-hmm. Would you ever argue for Tiki Barber to be in the Hall of Fame? No, no, exactly. He's okay, no. if I say Tiki Barber had a better three-year peak than Terrell Davis did, he did. He did. And, and that's, then, why, and that's yeah. the thing. Nobody, and I'm not arguing for Tiki Barber, but I'm just. That's my point. Is nobody. Is even making a like a like a whisper for right. Tiki Barber to be in the Hall of Fame, and yet he had a better three year peak than Terrell Davis, and Terrell Davis is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, people get mad at me when I say that I don't. I love Frank Gore the person, I really do, but I say it's the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Greatness, like where Frank Gore was really, really good for a really, really long time, and and some people believe that longevity should be that's put into that conversation. That could be a qualifier. And that, that's fine. If that's the way you define it, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to say that Frank Gore is a bad football player. He wasn't, obviously. But I'm saying, like, when I see the Hall of Fame, I, I, wanna, I believe that it should stand for the greatest of all time. When you walk through there, you're like, wow, these are the greats that I'm among. Well, and they I already ruined that then. I know. <laughs> they did. Late. They did. That's the thing. Is like It was almost like you have to have a requirement for so many players to get in. That's where it goes downhill for me. I mean, look at the reverse. All the other ancillary factors. I mean, that's why T.O. was in a first ballot one because oh, they didn't that's, want to... That's ridiculous, by the way. And but also, see, Barry, that's the Barry point. Bond should also be a Hall of Famer. For, oh, that's, there's no question about it. So should Roger Clemens. Like, yep. Now, if you want to talk about like the Sosas and the Palmeros and stuff like Sosa that, you know, and, like, yeah, so that's a completely different conversation, but I'm with yeah. you. Like, If you want to put a damn asterisk next to it, do it. Go put an right. asterisk next to the Astros World Series. I'm fine with it <laughs> because it's the notation so you can read about it, but guess right. what? They won a World Series, and now they're you know they're in the record books. You can't take it away, but you can definitely like put footnotes and stuff like that, or like with the addendum. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. Check the back. What is that? <laughs> Is it footnotes? What's was the one where if you're like reading along and there's like a one and then there's a two and like and then you check it at the end? Those are footnotes, right? I haven't yes. written a paper in well, forever, obviously. Yeah, well, footnotes are just almost like um, you, yes, that would be footnotes. The, the that's what it is. Yeah. That's all I want. I didn't want to break down of what a footnote was. I just want to make sure I was using the right word. Yeah, I just want to double check. Okay, cool. Actually, it's for super, super, super sidebar for you, Mike. Yeah. I still occasionally have like bad dreams of being in school and forgetting like a paper or like whatever. But and like I've I've been out of school for over 10, 12 plus years, and I still I still I don't know why. And the thing was, is I was a 4.0 student. I don't know why I'm having anxiety <laughs> dreams about being in school. But anyway, last one. All right, yeah. last one. Stefan Diggs. Mm-hmm. So 
Now, I broke, I believe I did, I broke the method of knowing when Stefan Diggs is good and is bad. And it has nothing to do with Stefan Diggs, Mike. It has everything to do with Kirk Cousins and if he's facing a team with quarterback pressure. Because Kirk Cousins, if you give him time, he wants Adam Thielen. Actually, he just wants the guy double covered the furthest down the field. That's what Kirk Cousins does. He did it with the Redskins. He does it with the Vikings. You give Kirk Cousins time to think, and he gets aggressive. You get pressure in his face, and you see, like, go back and look at every single great game by Stefan Diggs. I think only one, maybe two of them, was against a non-heavy pass rush team. And that's why, because Diggs gets open quick and Diggs gets open really easy and he gets the first look from Kirk Cousins in those situations. So I bring up Diggs for this reason. You have a bunch of stats in there about Diggs. And this wasn't to be like, oh, this is the Kirk Cousins. I broke the mold, like broke the, uh, the, the, the what's the word I'm looking for here? The secret code of like how to play <laughs> stuff on Diggs. The question I have for you is all those stats you have in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Context-wise, are you putting any weight into them because Adam Thielen was essentially hurt for most of the season? Or are you just kind of like pigeonholing them in the back of your mind of like, hey, let me remember this for next year, but there's not a lot here because of Adam Thielen. Yeah, it's really difficult. Uh, Thielen's getting older too. Like we have to remember that. I think he's going to be 30 next year. Uh, So he's getting up there a little bit, but it's more about the offense to me and the way that they were using these receivers because um, they weren't aligning. People wanted to talk about Thielen like being in the slot. He really wasn't this year. Uh, They they weren't using him that way. Uh, He played the slot, I want to say, in 30% of the time. Diggs rarely went in there. They were using old BC Johnson quite a bit uh, in that role. Um, But Diggs is, uh, and this is another one of those things, I believe Diggs is, an elite talent. I, I believe Stefan Diggs is extremely good. And if he were a guy that were to walk in with Roethlisberger, I think he would be Antonio Brown light. Uh, he's a top five route runner that. in the league. He is elite. He's not a big receiver, so he's not going to win those contested catches, but he gets separation with the best of them. Um, so under, he's underrated as a receiver. Like some fantasy owners like him because obviously the numbers he puts up, but he's actually still underrated in terms of what he is as a receiver. Um, but it's more about cousins, not, constantly targeting him about this team under Kubiak now wanting to run the ball a lot and not creating so many opportunities. I think it's going to be rare to see uh, Kirk Cousins drop back and throw the ball 35 times a game. And that's, that's rough to, to, to produce two top, you know, 20 receivers that Diggs and Thielen were. Uh, you're going to have Irv Smith taking a step forward in his career. Dalvin Cook still involved in the passing game. Uh, that defense is, is still rock solid. And I would, I would anticipate them to continue to try and build that defense because that's the strength of that team under Zimmer. Um, so it's Diggs is one of those guys that I really do. I, I love him as a player and I wish that he would get more opportunity, but I just don't know if I see much more opportunity than he was getting with Thielen in the lineup this, this year. So it's like almost, he has to remain uber efficient to get into that top 15 territory. Mm, I, I definitely, I, I think um can't find anything to even add to that or disagree with is <laughs> you hit all the points there. So with all that being said, uh, Mike, again, one more time before we get out of here, tell people where to follow you, uh, Twitter, your work, the website, all the good stuff, everything you got going on, podcast, <laughs> as you said, you're recording this afternoon, it's so all that stuff. Yeah, I'm Mike Taglier, NFL on Twitter, Instagram. I, I haven't done a good job on Instagram. I need to do better in terms of like what I'm doing off the field. Like <laughs> I say off the field. Uh, I don't, know. I don't know if you can figure it out because <laughs> I, I people get to say like get more and more and more on Instagram and like yeah. I did. And I think, you know, I finally started like I got over like a thousand and then I started losing followers because I've been pace, posting mostly pics of Barkley, my dog. Yeah. 
and I don't. I thought that would be a good thing. That I don't, and I started losing. So I don't know. Don't, don't, yeah, it's 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 Instagram's a weird, weird. It's such a weird thing because I have a 17 year old daughter, and she basically tries to teach me. She's like, Dad, I'll show you how to do this, and I'll take a picture of you here and there. And I'm like, I don't know. That's not who I am. It's not me. But uh, I'm gonna try and start do more on there. But uh, check out the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast and um, all my work on FantasyPros.com. Thanks for having me, Jake. Always, man. I love it. And yeah, go make sure you check out Mike and I'll be back next week. We're back into the swing of things. Don't worry. No, no real baseball talk. Maybe like a sprinkle here or there. Goodness. <laughs> but I'll be back next week. And uh, until then, go check it out. The Athletic anyway, theathletic.com. And you can go see the graphics on the main page. Love you guys. Love you.